You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, everyone. Before we start the show, we have a couple announcements. Number one, we now have some merchandise for sale. You can buy our T-shirts, stickers, and mugs at TeePublic. Just go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E, like a T-shirt, public.com slash Sunday School Dropouts, or go to TeePublic.com and just search for Sunday School Dropouts. Number two, this is our last episode before we take a couple weeks off for the holidays. Number three. Three. We want to hear your Sunday School Dropout stories. We want you, 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 to call our Google voicemail number at 415-968-9059 by December 31st, 2017. Leave us a message that's under two minutes long and tell us your Sunday School Dropout story, and we will use some of our favorites in an upcoming episode. And feel free to interpret that however you want. So it could be a specific event that made you leave your religion. It could be a religious belief you used to have that seems totally strange in retrospect. It could even be a spiritual realization you had where you stayed religious but maybe entered a new phase of your belief. Just uh, any way that you want to interpret it from whatever kind of religious background you have. It's all good. We're interested in all of it. Again, the number is 415-968-9059. Leave us a message that's under two minutes long by December 31st, and you might end up on an episode. Woohoo! Now the show. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. I'm Lauren O'Neill. Do you think I should enunciate that more clearly? I think you should it's enunciate like, everything Lauren more. Excuse me? Lauren O'Neill. That's what, that's what it feels like I'm saying. Well, if it feels like it, it must be true. Okay, so I'm Lauren O'Neill. Spelled with an A, not an I. Right, and you are the... Not a single I in there. I feel like you're really derailing the intro. Oh, okay. Um, I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I'm now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it's not appropriate for children. I am reading the New International Version, or NIV, of the Bible. And I'm reading the NRSV. And I'm sorry if I had to crack the whip on you there for a second. It's okay. Um... I'm striving to be a submissive biblical wife. Good. And so I do need you to um, assert your authority over me. I'm sorry. I can't even say this. That's terrible. No one listen. Delete that part. Um, today we're talking about the epistle of James. Mm -hmm. Shall I dive into some fast facts? I would love that, my dear. Okay. So there's several Jameses in the Bible. Mm. There's... One of Jesus' three closest disciples, James, son of Zebedee, who is also the brother of 
John, the other disciple. Uh, there's a second disciple named James, who's mm-hmm. the son of Alphaeus. And then there's Jesus's brother, James. Who is confusingly not a disciple? Not one of the 12. Doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe. Um, although Paul mentions him right. in some Pauline epistles. So clearly he became an authority. And that that's, it's supposedly written by... Do you think he just rolled in once the getting got good? Oh, yeah, and was like, oh yeah, uh, I know Jesus pretty well. I was his brother. Um, you know, also their Hebrew slash Aramaic name is Yaakov. Mm-hmm. So it's dumb that we anglicize it to James. We should anglicize it to Jacob. That's a great point, my dear. And that's why like, you know, King James. Yeah. There's like, you call stuff from his era Jacobean. Mm. It's like, why, why isn't he just Jacob? What are we doing here? Where did James even come from? Where do we get that M? That's, it sounds like a great question for the word goblins that live in the etymology corner. Oh, I didn't. You forgot to feed them? I didn't feed them. I'm sorry. They've all died. Oh, my God. <laughs> Usually they're fine for a day or two. How did they die? Look, that's, let's go into that <laughs> off air because we got some cleaning to do, baby. Um, yeah. So the book is supposed to be by Jesus's brother, James. That's who it's traditionally ascribed to. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume it's not actually by him. But from <laughs> what I can tell, people don't really know who it really is by. Uh-huh. Um. It's clearly directed toward a Jewish audience, but it's written in Greek, mm-hmm. which uh, Jesus's family might not have spoken. Um, and it's also possible that it was like written by one person and edited later or that it's kind of a compilation of, of different authors. So uh, this who really knows? runs the gamut of potential authors, authorship yeah. scenarios, authorship scenarios. That's right. Called the Epistle of James. It's not very epistle-y. Um, Epistle-ish. It's an epis-poor showing of an epistle. I'll allow it. It's uh, more like wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. I've seen it classified as wisdom literature, you know, like um, Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Um, and it's also not addressed to a specific church you know like the Pauline epistles are right. so it's it's just addressed to quote the 12 tribes scattered among the nations yeah so it's just like making it clear that it's talking to jewish christians yeah there's also not specific uh like instructions about church or doctrine it's more just like general life advice mm-hmm. like wisdom literature that we've seen in the old testament shall we start with chapter one i would love to so right off the bat This book has a very pleasant tone with us. You think? I I mean, it calls us my beloved. Oh, mine says my brothers. Oh, that's stupid. I felt very excluded by it, actually. You should, because it's dumb. Mm. That's why you should read a better translation of the Bible. (laughs) No, it's NIV or nothing, babe. (laughs) N4, please. N4. Uh, I'm waiting for NV. Yeah. (laughs) They'll correct all this shit. But... I like that it calls me it calls me my beloved. It's very sweet. It's like our podcast. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Mm -hmm. is what mine says. Uh, Whenever you face trials, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Uh, If you lack wisdom, you just have to pray for it. Mm -hmm. But you got to do it with full faith and no doubt. Full full faith and no doubt. Two of my favorite ska bands. That's right. (laughs) Um, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position 
but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. Yes, this book is very anti the rich. Yes, and uh, we're going to get deep into that in a moment. Okay. But. Thank you for preparing me for that. Otherwise, I would have died. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. That's surprising to hear. I've never um, seen you react to the Bible that way before. I'm feeling it today. I understand. Before we get into that, delicious anti-rich communist content Mm -hmm. we gotta unfortunately stop at this other type of content that i hate okay which is so uh the next couple nuggets of wisdom are uh a god doesn't tempt people people's desires tempt them right and then um every good and perfect gift is from above this, that's actually a very uh, an oft quoted verse. There's a worship song based on it. Mm. Every good and perfect gift. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is one of these one of my main problems with Christianity, right? Which is um, the idea that everything good comes from God mm-hmm. and everything bad comes from you. Well, I mean, I read it and I was like, at least it doesn't talk about the devil. But I mean, it's actually maybe would be better. Yeah, (laughs) because this is like this is very much the ideology I was raised with. Okay, that like anything bad is your fault, but nothing good is your achievement. Um, And I think it's like very psychologically harmful Mm -hmm. to a lot of Christians who are raised with it. I think it um, like makes you think of yourself as a terrible worthless person Mm -hmm. and people who think of themselves as terrible worthless people tend to uh not become mature and not like act with wisdom they tend to be very like lashing out and taking taking their emotions out on like people and society Mm -hmm. and i think that's like a large part of the problem with american christianity is that is people's like obsession with their own sinfulness and how they lash out at other people mm-hmm. um, to compensate for it? To compensate for it. Well, I won't. I won't get too far into it, but it's a problem I have. It's a problem you have. Um, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a classic. That's good. No problems there. No. Uh, do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. I just like that metaphor. I like it too. There's a lot of good writing in here. <laughs> yeah. This, whoever wrote this, whether his name was Willie James mm-hmm. or whatever. Willie James. Whether his name was Willie James or not. Really good at metaphors. Agreed. This guy. Agreed. And and a good eye for a pithy sentence mm-hmm. something that would look good embroidered on something <laughs> or which all like really lies in the tradition of jewish wisdom literature mm. like all this stuff would fit really well in proverbs or ecclesiastes agreed i mean except the stuff that's about jesus specifically but even then it's like in the same tradition anyway chapter two don't show favoritism which really means um i hate the rich <laughs> uh if a rich person walks into your church and you say, oh, please have a seat here. Yes. Because you admire his gold and his chains. Yes. And then a poor person comes in and you say, you can sit at my foot. Then 
you don't deserve to be a Christian. Yes, the exact quote in my translation is, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or (laughs) sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You have. And then and only God may judge. There's this next line that's, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? That is so. I don't even know the adjective I'm looking for. It's like it's not just saying that, like. It's bad to be rich and good to be poor because you're closer to God if you're poor. Mm-hmm. It's literally saying like the rich exploit the poor, like people are poor because the rich take from them. Right. It's like setting it up as a social system, not just as this coincidence of fate. Yeah, this thing that yeah. just happens and, you know, it's like, no, that's that's why they're rich. They're exploiting the poor. Right. Also, in, from the first chapter, I really like the way they dis- describe sort of the death of, of spirit that accompanies being rich, which is let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and the rich in being brought low because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. They will wither away. So I, that really resonated with me because it's like, it's easy to get busy, you know? And, like, <laughs> and it's easy to get withered. We got so withered. withered. <laughs> Dude, we were like so withered. Then he gets into this thing about uh, faith versus deeds, uh, which is one of the main splits between Protestants and Catholics. Mm -hmm. So Catholics, this is a simplified uh, primer for anybody who isn't aware. Catholics say that you get to heaven by a mix of faith and deeds. And Protestants say you get to heaven by faith alone. The uh, principle is called sola fide. Sola fide. Um, And... Get solified. <laughs> Get solified. Protestants base their their uh, opinion on this matter mo- mostly on like the Pauline epistles, especially mm-hmm. Romans. Um, this book definitely taking a more Catholic view, or I mean, like obviously it's not Catholic yet; it's pre-Catholic, uh, Jewish slash Christian, but same deal. Um, James says very explicitly that you have to have both. It says faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It also says a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Right. <laughs> like it literally has the phrase not by faith alone. My NIV, which is a very uh, Protestant translation, mm-hmm. has a lot of footnotes a trying of to work ho- around this. Jumping. Yes. Yeah. It's like, well, when he says faith here, he's actually talking about a different definition of the word faith. It's like, no, he's not. <laughs> it's interesting because I also read some stuff that was trying to unify the views of of Paul and James, which I imagine is a very popular pastime amongst For, theologians. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess a popular choice on that side is to say that when James talks about faith and works, he's actually talking about works stemming from faith. Yeah, which is true. Um, but also, like, <laughs> it just seems very clear that the Catholics are right on this one if you're going by scripture, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and obviously, Martin Luther hated this book. He called it an epistle of straw. Oh, yes. shit. Throwing um, down the gauntlet. But speaking of good metaphors, I also really like James's metaphor here mm-hmm. about um, 
he says, like, faith without deeds is like seeing a brother or sister who has no clothes and saying, you know, like, hey, nice to see you. Stay warm. Yeah. But not actually helping them get any clothes. Right. That you know what the right thing is to do, but you don't do it. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You want them to be warm. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's fine. But without actions, who cares? It's funny, too, because Paul is almost always talking about, like, ritual works. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true, too. The sacrificial system. He's talking about, like, very specific Jewish laws that aren't about, like, being kind to your neighbor and, and, like, the things that Jesus highlighted. He's talking about, like, eating kosher. Right. Or keeping the same Sabbath they kept in the Old Testament as opposed to the New Sabbath or whatever. Which seems a bit arbitrary to me if you're going to draw lines. I mean, me too, but apparently it was very important to them. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I think the Catholics have it right here. (laughs) I will say it's easy to believe that James is talking about a different thing than Paul is. Yes. And that seems to prove the Catholic point, right? Like, because Paul isn't talking about. That's that's very true. You know, yeah. he, he's saying, like, you don't need to worry about these, like, arcane laws. But he's right. not saying. You don't need to be be a good person yeah. in addition to believing the right things. Right. Got it. Chapter three, more great metaphors here. Agreed. Uh, chapter three starts so brilliantly. And I'm not sure how what it looks like in your translation, but it's got it's got just a little hint of that that sauciness that I was missing <laughs> from the sauciest. I mean, and I, I mean, which do you think is the sauciest book of the Bible? <laughs> I mean, besides Song of Songs, obviously. That's saucy in a different way. I'm talking about you know somebody with just a little bit of uh, a little bit of edge, a little bit of attitude. Okay. Um, what says, about Edge Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John? Okay, shut up. It says, <laughs> not many of you should become teachers, my yes! brothers and sisters, yes! for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He's basically like, look, some of you are idiots. Dude, and this is like, I've done like a Twitter rant about like male feminists, mm-hmm. about how like men, when they learn the basic tenets of feminism, their their next inclination is not to like follow them. It's to lecture other men about them, you <laughs> uh-huh. know, which is... uh. Which isn't worthless. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it's fine, but it's not really like great. Um, I feel I'm, like the basic t- learning the basic tenets of feminism should teach you that there is a lot to learn. Right. And that you might need to shut up and listen for a it's while. It's hard for men to, to do no, that. No, no, I don't care what you're saying. What yeah, I'm exactly. saying is that. Uh, then James says, okay, he says basically like if you can keep your tongue in check and not say stupid shit, then you're like doing great like you're keeping if you can keep your mouth shut you can like control all your actions um which is actually kind of great advice. i know right and i love the metaphor here yes he says you have to tame your tongue how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire and the tongue is a fire the tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity it stains the whole body sets on fire the cycle of nature and is itself set on fire by hell yes that's what mine has, too. Is itself set on fire by hell. Our translations agree on that. No one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. He also compares it to a bit in a horse's mouth. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's just this small little thing, but it lets you, quote, turn the whole animal. <laughs> um, he also compares it to a rudder on a boat. It's, you know, it's just this small little piece, but it makes all the difference yeah. in where the boat goes. Very much unifying this text with some of the jewish wisdom literature Mm -hmm. which said basically keep your mouth shut yeah (laughs) like a fool always like talks and talks and a wise man stays quiet um this is also i feel like i don't think we've seen anything else in the new testament that's about like being wise there's Hmm. a lot of stuff about like being you know holy being 
pure, being a good servant to Jesus, being a good servant to God. But I don't think we've seen anything else in the New Testament about wisdom per se. Not anything specifically about how to do it. Yeah. I think Paul But that was a big theme in the Old Testament. Yeah. Paul may have said, when you choose your presbyters or whatever, make sure they're wise men of good judgment who are married. Yeah. And like, don't drink. But he didn't. But he didn't say what wisdom meant to him. Yeah. Um, Here, James distinguishes between false wisdom that comes from uh, humans or from the devil and real wisdom, which is from God and is pure, peace loving, considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit (laughs) impartial and sincere i like the part about good fruit yeah don't want any like mealy apples in my wisdom what about grade up avocados grade up yeah or upgrade upgrade your avocados everyone (laughs) buy them from california they're great (laughs) chapter four this is actually kind of buddhist um he says that the source of conflict is your desires that battle within you Mm mm-hmm um, you want something, but don't get it. Sounds like Jenny Holzer. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. It's like the good place. Mm-hmm. You may That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I think it's a plausible explanation for, you know, people acting like assholes. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very like psychological too. It's mm-hmm. like about your motives and your um your desires and how that affects what you do. Yeah, and the conflict between what you think you want and what you actually want. Um and then here's here's another thing I I'm basically a thumbs down on this. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Lauren thumbs down. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Very interesting. Especially juxtaposed with this like very anti-capitalist stuff that mm -hmm. seems like uh, like about social justice on Earth. Right. But social justice on Earth is a godly concern. It's not a worldly concern. No, it's not. It's a worldly concern. Like, well, I mean, I just mean according to the book. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess I'm having trouble telling if James which of those James thinks it is. Mm. For Paul, it's clearly an earthly concern. And it, and he definitely like, you know, and for Jesus also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as presented in the Gospels, they rail against the rich and they praise the poor, both of them. Mm-hmm. But the idea is just like, yeah, Uplifti- but uplifting the poor is not a godly concern. No, but, but we're going to heaven anyway. And in heaven, the poor are going to get the reward. Right. Not on earth. But so. providing shelter to them or providing food or washing their feet. I mean, those are surely not worldly concerns. Yeah, that's true. But like there's there's not the idea that we should strive for a just society. No. It's more like we recognize the injustice of this society and we know that it will be corrected in heaven. Definitely. I, I think it's very interesting how some of the languages crosses over with revolutionary language from the 19th and 20th, 20th century. Yeah. But this is not a revolutionary sentiment. You know, it's... It's an acknowledgement of inequality and I think you're an acknowledgement that that's bad and you're obligated to do what you can within, you know, your sphere of influence to make people's lives slightly better if they're Christians. But you're not expected to overturn the societal order, seems like. And and yeah, you're not. That doesn't seem to be a goal at all. It seems like revolution is a worldly thing. Yeah. But charity is a godly thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's, I think, a good way to put it. Here's this part gets really dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, Submit yourselves then to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why has it got to be so dark? What happened to, you know, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. What happened to my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, if you're sinning, <laughs> you got to repent. I guess. You can't, you can't repent with a smile on your face. Even mm. though we saw in that apocryphum from last week that Fortunatus, well, for, not Fortunatus. Fortunatus didn't repent of nothing. That's right. But the <laughs> other guy, you know, the one with his proclivities. Calimachus. Calimachus. He repented instantly, and he seemed to be pretty psyched about it. <laughs> he might have let loose a mournful wail. But... <laughs> At some point. Um, then we drop straight into some good shit about hypocrisy and judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's a good question. And I'll answer. I have a podcast. <laughs> uh, so, you know. I'm kind of a small deal. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going to, okay, now we're going to switch into this anti-capitalist shit. Before mm-hmm. capitalism was even invented, James was against capitalism. So we're going to start off with how it's a sin to boast about how, quote, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Mm-hmm. Because only God knows the future, not you. You don't know if you're going to make money. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Very Badass. Ecclesiastes, you know, dust in the wind, all is vanity, all is meaningless. Yeah. I love the words he puts in the worldly person's mouth. Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year <laughs> there doing business and making money. Nobody ever says that. I mean, <laughs> spoken like a true person that is not involved with business. It's not involved with business. <laughs> It's like I pick up your phone and go, Excel, uh, deliverables, (laughs) solutions, due diligence. Um, Now we're going to get into the last chapter of the book of James, chapter five. And it starts with a fucking barn burner Mm -hmm. of a passage that I'm going to read in its entirety. Um, James five, one through six. In my Bible, the section is titled Warning to Rich Oppressors. Mm -hmm. And here is the next paragraph. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is so incredible. Mm -hmm. Especially we're recording this like on the eve of the Republicans voting on a tax bill, Mm -hmm. which... We don't need to go into specifics, but obviously, as many Republican tax bills do, it raises taxes for the poor and cuts them for billionaires. And when you look at the Bible, when you look at the book of James, 
it's I mean, when you look at the entire Bible, there's hella stuff about anti-rich, pro-poor. Mm-hmm. But this specifically was so remarkable to me to read in light of the current political situation because it literally says the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just being rich is bad. It's like you need to pay your workers. Like labor is important. That's remarkable. I mean, this was written probably like 100 AD, mm-hmm. you know? And already it's like anti-capitalist pro-labor. I had to imagine they were pitching this to labor. So that's a, <laughs> that's a good start. That was their main uh, demo at the time. Mm-hmm. This is actually... You're not going to get a lot of buy-in from the rich on this one. <laughs> Especially um, in in Roman circles, like... Mm-hmm. As Christianity began to spread, Romans or like whatever pagans, quote unquote, non-Jews would be like, everybody, like these Christians, they're all poor. Like this is a poor people's religion. It's not a cool people religion. Yeah. Why would, why, we, why would we do a religion full of poor people? Why would we convert to this religion when it's full of poor people? <laughs> Little did they know. Little did they know <laughs> that 2000 years later on a different continent that they didn't know existed, <laughs> there'd be Joel Osteen. <laughs> um, and then there's, you know, some last remarks about uh, how the end of the world and uh, and the second coming of Christ is near. There's some, some bad stuff, too, about what you should do when you're sick. Uh, what does it say? Well, it says, are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Oh, So this is the thing that makes people, like, pray instead of going to the doctor, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that is true. But at the time, <laughs> like, that was probably as effective as going to a doctor, so. Well, I mean, it's not even about healing you. It's just about if you're sick, you're probably going to die, so... Just make sure that the elders pray over you so that you can be reunited with God when you die. I mean, at the time, the, the, is there a better option? I mean, they. No, I'm just saying. What else are you going to do? You're going to go to the, the Roman doctor and he's going to throw, throw leeches on you? I feel like that's this should just be on the list of passages that nowadays are used to justify immoral behavior. You know, like praying over kids mm. instead of getting them I vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. People shouldn't take this part literally, and it's uh, like very— We're coming down hard on on that, right? Yeah. You got my back on this one? Yeah. It's a very unambiguously bad thing when people take this literally. But you can't really fault James, right? No. Because, like, medicine didn't exist yet. I mean, he could tell them to, like, wash their hands or something. Jesus said, don't wash your hands. So (laughs) James's hands are tied, okay? (laughs) Tied and filthy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then it it just kind of— Peter's out or James is out. It doesn't have um You're fired. An epistle God. an epistolary structure in that way. It just kinda ends. So let's take a break and then when we come back we will have a special guest to explain this book to us. Yes. We're dumb and we don't know anything. I love being dumb and not knowing anything. You're here hear some music and then we'll be right back. Music. Bye.
Before we get back to the show, we just want to remind you that if you have a Sunday school dropout story, meaning a story about your religious background that makes you feel like a Sunday school dropout, we'd love to hear it. Leave a voicemail at 415-968-9059 by December 31st, 2017, and keep it under two minutes long and you might end up in an episode. That's 415-968-9059. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we're talking today about the book of James. And we have a special guest for this half of the episode. He is a longtime religion teacher at Catholic high schools and the father of one of our favorite guests from the past, Greg, a.k.a. at LaDuke Violette on Twitter. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We're so pleased to have you. You're the first... uh, father of a guest that we've also had as a guest a notable distinction uh, a notable dad uh, mm-hmm. there you go it's a great category to be in <laughs> so we will uh start by asking you as we ask all of our guests what is your religious background well i'm a cradle catholic um and uh but very interestingly i, I wanted to escape that uh cradle uh, for college and yes, right. <laughs> um, I was frustrated with some things in, in the church when I was, uh, in my later years in high school and into college. So I <clears throat> went to a small non-Catholic college in the Midwest. Uh, but I ended up majoring in religion. Um, uh, it was a Protestant, a college with Protestant roots, uh, McAllister in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm. And, um, I very strangely to myself ended up majoring in religion there. Uh, and uh, after that, uh, I even tried a year uh, in seminary uh, to be a Presbyterian minister. Uh, really? I was raised Presbyterian. There you go. Well, I went to SFTS or San Francisco Theological Seminary there in San Antonio no for a year. Yeah. And it's a wonderful uh, tradition and I learned a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've completely yeah. rejected it and I'm an atheist now, but that's cool. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, <laughs> it, it is all good. Uh, I, um, uh, I just, I guess one, one more point on that, just to help lead us into where we want to go, is I uh, also became a, a Holocaust and genocide educator, um, partly because I saw in, in Christianity and Catholicism uh, a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of what I prefer to call Jew hatred because it's more accurate. And uh, it was both in people, but it was also in the uh, theology. And so I wanted to, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, you know, the Christians bear a lot of responsibility for the genocide that happened in World War II against the Jews. They, they prepared the ground well. And so anyway, uh, that's important to me to say too about my my religious history and 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 pertinent to this book, um, I'm a bit of what they call uh, pejoratively, but uh, I I am proud of it. Uh, a Judaizer, which means a Christian <laughs> who uh, a Christian who believes that Christianity should follow more closely to its uh, parent religion. Very interesting. Yeah. It actually reminds me of a story that my my mom, who was raised Jewish in in Flint, Michigan, and other places mm-hmm. in the area, that she told me, um, and I'm don't think she'll mind if I share it here, which is that when Vatican II was passed down, 
she remembers the kids on the playground coming up to her and being like, oh, hey, I just heard from my parents that uh, we've forgiven you for, for killing Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. I'm surprised she, Congrats. Was, she didn't even know, you know? Uh, yes, there you go. Well, not quite accurate, but it was, it was uh, more of a... Uh, uh, excuse, uh, excuse us. Well, you actually didn't kill Jesus. It was the Romans. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, it, it works. huh? So what is your connection to the book of James? You wrote a, th- a thesis on it at seminary no, or? No, actually, uh, no, I didn't. I, I've never actually written on it, but uh, I would like to. Uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's been one, as a, as a teacher of, of, Religious Ethics and Social Justice, uh, it's a key book. It, it really, um, I think it, uh, it captures the teachings of Jesus and, and, and literally quotes from the source uh, teachings of Jesus that we find in Matthew, uh, quotes from them and, and just really uh, gets to the heart of the gospel. It's often lost in some of the more elaborate Christological uh, material in the New Testament. James is very mm-hmm. straightforward. So, so tell us more. Like, what what draws you to this book? What's um, what's fascinating or uh, yeah. admirable about well, it? Well, as I say, it speaks directly about uh, the teachings of Jesus and applies them to James's time, which were times of severe persecution uh, for the uh, Jewish Christian community, and it it it, it, uh, it challenges uh, the rich, it comforts the poor, uh, it warns. These Jewish, this Jewish Christian community uh, against class distinctions. Uh, it uh, rails against wage theft, which was yes. epidemic at that time and in our time. And, yes. you know, all of those things. It also has one of the most beautiful definitions of prayer I've ever read. Uh, it also has uh, an amazing uh, poetic, really, section on uh, sins of the tongue, if you will, or slander, right? Uh, gossip, yes. uh, loose uh, talk and cruel uh, bullying, we would call it today uh, in one form. So it's, got, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gold mine, really, uh, of uh, important <laughs> things. Do you want to talk about like a favorite a passage, any yeah. of the, any of the things you just mentioned, do you want to like delve into any of those? Well, I'd love to. Yeah. You know, um, it has a beautiful definition of prayer. Uh, it's right in chapter one. Uh, it starts kind of in verse five. If any of you falls short in, in wisdom, he should ask God for it and it will be given him. For God is a generous giver who neither refuses nor reproaches anyone. So the idea that what we should be praying for is wisdom, uh, mm-hmm. is, 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 I think, a very helpful concept. And, and that, that's just We one. talked about that a little mm-hmm. um, in that, like, so there's this kind of this Jewish tradition of wisdom literature yes. that you see in the Old Testament with books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Right. Um, and we were saying, I think... I don't think that we've read another New Testament book yet that mentions like wisdom per se. Yes. Specifically how to attain it or what it looks like or tips and tricks. You know? <laughs> yes. Life hacks. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's one of the unique things about James. It is an extension of the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures, I believe. 
as well as a faithful representation of the teachings of Jesus. Um, and, and, and a beautiful, another thing it does that I didn't mention in, in, in the, some of the features that I previewed that I like, it, it's, it has this notion of the mysticism of the law or the whole law, or it has a very uh, non-legalistic approach to the law. It honors the Torah in a way that, uh, that the, uh, the epistles of Paul, for example, I think do not. Interesting. Say more about this, because we were like, we were kind of talking about this, how Paul is kind of like, yeah, you don't really need to worry about the law, but he's talking about less consequential things like eating kosher or whatever. Yes. And and here James seems to be talking about like honoring the law in terms of being kind to one another. Yes, being kind and being just and paying the wages uh, that you owe and uh, not slandering people and not... Uh, uttering calumny against them. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about this book, of course, it's famous in Christian history because uh, Luther, 500 years ago, um, yes. uh, announced his long-developing uh, critique of, of Catholicism and uh, of Christianity at the time. And, and uh, he actually calls this the uh, letter full of straw, or actually, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you've heard this before uh, or talked about it, but the, the yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the translation I actually remember hearing back in the day was that damn strawy epistle. Um, <laughs> but uh, I couldn't find that verified when I was looking up some things today. But anyway, he obviously didn't didn't like it because uh, of this uh, mention of works and and faith. Yes, yes he says. Yes, so. It's it says it's not just faith alone, which obviously right. is Luther's like main deal. Uh, yes, he saw he saw works and faith as opposed to each other uh, because he was fixated on salvation, and and the book of James is not. You see, it it is not a. I mean, it does mention uh, salvation. It mentions uh, you know, uh, kind of peripherally, but um, uh, it, it mentions fidelity. It, it's a book that's about faithfulness and about what faith is. Um, and but it's it comes from a very different uh, different area. In fact, some some people suggest that it was written after Paul's letters and is a counterpoint to Paul. Paul, of course, who agrees with Luther, or Luther who agrees hmm. with Paul, I should say. So, but I love that phrase, "damn strawy." You know, it's just it's just a great strawy. You know, we've forgotten what straw is, right? But you know, um, I'm pretty sure you drink your slurpee. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Nick, not that kind of straw. Uh, but. Uh, at any rate, yeah, uh, it's it's lovely that it's a controversial book because it causes people to keep examining it. Uh, it's true; it does have very strong opinions, uh, and sets them out with no small degree of poetry. Yes, I agree. So, I mean, I'm an atheist now, but but one of my favorite things in the Bible is the stuff about social justice, yes. um, and how the rich are are bad well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, i can't think of a good way to phrase it but it pretty much just says the rich are bad um and the poor are good and i think this um this book in particular like seems to come at it from a very anti-capitalist angle where it's specifically talking about like paying yeah. wages yes um but to mm -hmm. me it seems like like the rest of the new testament it's not so much focused on creating social justice on earth. It's more observing that there's injustice and saying that the 
that there will be justice in heaven. Do you agree with that or disagree? No, I do. I do disagree with that. Um, I think it's a very earthbound letter. Um, they, it, it, it does come from a community that was facing severe persecution, as you know, by the middle and then certainly by the end of the first century, uh, the Romans were cracking down on Jews and, and Jewish Christians. Uh, it was a very apocalyptic time. I mean, they saw the end coming, which indeed it did. You know, by 66, the war starts in 70, Jerusalem's destroyed. Mm. Um, and, um, and for a long time, Christians are underground. And of course, by the end of the century, Christians are the focus of, of persecution under Domitian and other emperors. So um, uh, I, I think sometimes that apocalyptic sense um, is misunderstood as otherworldly when actually it's trying to prepare people hmm. uh, for the end and trying to suggest to, to connect with what you were saying earlier, that riches aren't your salvation and that um, uh, kindness, compassion, mercy, in this case, a big word in, in James' uh, letter, uh, mercy and justice are uh, what we need to be about. And, and that's where we stand before God. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, there's interesting, uh, a number of Marxists have, have responded well to this letter because I think they detect the same thing. There's, of course, Marxist critics in biblical studies as well as other non-biblical studies Marxists. I'll say more about this because, I mean, I'm not super educated on Marxism. I know the basics, but of course, I know that he said that religion is the opiate of the masses. So Marxist critique finds its way into this field through liberation theology. And of course, they got a lot of heat from the Vatican, especially John Paul II, because they used Marxist class analysis in their theology. They weren't recommending Marxist mm. state violence or state socialism even. Uh, but they were using Marxist class analysis. And uh, so a lot of them really picked up on, on the, the epistle of James. There's one particularly that I like. Her name is Elsa Thomas. And uh, let me see, the name of her book is The Scandalous Mes Message of James. That's one of her books. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, you definitely see, you know, in him, or the writers, uh, you know, there's some controversy about composition, but uh, you see, you see a first century mentality, which of course has uh, definite ref references to heaven, but it's it's uh, it's an ethic for for this world. Um, I don't see it promising a lot of reward, but correct me on that if you do see that. I mean, I guess I don't see it promising a lot of reward, but it does say that like if you are an ally of the world, you're an enemy oh, of God. Yes. Okay. Right. Now, so that that's a special usage of uh, of world. And that Oh, tell me well, more. That that means Caesar. That that means imperial stormtroopers. In other words, how do you how do you right. know that? So we're, when and in Paul, this is true in Paul as well. When you use the term world, you're talking about worldly ways, the ways of the world, the ways of money and power. That's the world. Not, it, it needs to be distinguished, of course, from the earth, you know, and sometimes we use them interchangeably in, in English. World means the Pax Romana. It means the, uh, which of course was, was a doublespeak for uh, martial law. Um, 
Right. So the world means the way of the world, the way the world runs with power and money. And so that's what James is saying you, you need to opt out of. Please. I've never heard that perspective. Like mm-hmm. it, growing up Presbyterian, it was always presented to me as just the world versus heaven. Yes. Just like earth, regular life versus heaven. Yes, yes. I, I, if we translate Jesus' famous phrase from the Gospel of John uh, differently, you'll, you'll, you'll see it right away because we usually say, we have Jesus saying, my kingdom is, is not of this world. That's how the King James Version translates it. But actually, it can be more justifiably translated, my kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. You see, my kingdom is not a Caesarly kingdom. My, my kingdom is not a Pharaoh kingdom. You know, my kingdom is not a Trump kingdom. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> there's no politics on this oh, show. Sorry, sorry. Jim, Control yourself. Right. It, it's, it's, it, I already talked about the Republican tax plan in the first half. Oh, so. okay. There you, go. there you go. Yeah, I mean, name, name your, uh, uh, we could name all the um, emerging uh, uh, fascist parties in the world. We could name the, in fact, right now we actually should name the military uh, dictatorship in spite of an election in, in Myanmar that is committing genocide mm. against the Rohingya people as we speak. Um, that's the world. And, and in, fact, in fact, one way you know it's the world is because you have all kinds of people justifying it. Most of the people in, in Myanmar. Uh, well, you know, those are terrorists and they're, they're Bengalis. They're not really, you know, natives as they claim with the word Rohingya. And right. Blah, blah, blah. You get the whole logic of, of empire. That's the world. So you see James and correct me if I'm wrong, but like pretty much also the Gospels as anti-imperialist, not anti-worldly. Is that absolutely exactly fair? I'll give you I can give you another example, but it's kind of away from James. But very quickly, um, you know, when uh, someone asked Jesus, should we pay taxes? Jesus says, well, does anyone have a denarii, a Roman coin? Because he doesn't have any, because because he wouldn't deal with the Roman Empire's economy. And anyway, you know, it usually gets translated well: render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God things that are God. As if we're supposed to kind of balance things out. But actually, uh, in my mind, uh, he flips away the coin that someone produces, someone who's in cahoots with the Roman economy and profiting from it, and the, the occupation economy. And, and uh, actually, he is saying have nothing to do with that economy. He says, whose image is on it? Hmm. Well, then pay it to Caesar. So, yeah, it's, it's often misunderstood that I, I think that the Jesus was, was recommending, and through James very, very uh, faithfully uh, mirroring this, um, uh, a, a subversive um, uh, counter-society, if you will, uh, a kingdom that is not a worldly kingdom, a kingdom of, of mercy and compassion, uh, uh, a kingdom of not taking your brother or sister to court, uh, a kingdom of, of uh, feeding, uh, sheltering, um, uh, healing. Yes. Are those, um, I only know like maybe the Wikipedia definition of liberation theology. Yes. Um, I'm familiar with like, you know, the one sentence summary, yes. 
But are those um, ideas that come from liberation theology? Uh, they're, they're, they're ideas that come from many Christian communities down through the generations, often very hidden, secret communities, necessarily so, underground communities, if you will, uh, and that they were recaptured, uh, re, uh, re-articulated in, in liberation theology uh, to a great extent. I see. I was going to mention, by the way, in terms of healing, um, the origin of the sacrament of what we used to call extreme unction or uh, the anointing of the sick uh, is in the book of James. I mean, that's how foundational the book is. Um, can I put my finger on that? I think you guys might have talked about it earlier. It's a beautiful, a beautiful passage uh, about uh, attending to the sick uh, and helping them make the passage. See, this is interesting because we were talking about it like, um, you know, there's some Christian communities today, mainly like evangelical um, Protestant communities that take that very literally and don't um, seek medical help because and and just use like prayer and, and anointing instead of medical help. And so we were kind of discussing it as something that's um, been detrimental. But I do think it is. Um, uh, what's the word I'm like? It's like it's like a very lovely um, idea about the power yes. of prayer. Mm-hmm. But but tell us yes. tell us what you are thinking about it. And it's a beautiful sacrament. And just on a, on a serious note, you know, my my mother just passed away and received the sacrament. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, one of the reasons I'm still a Catholic, I think, is for some of the, the beauty of of traditions like this. Yes, is anyone among you in trouble? He should turn to prayer. As anyone in good heart, he should sing praises. Is one of you ill, he should send for the elders of the congregation to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will save the sick man. The Lord will raise him from his bed, and any sins he may have committed will be forgiven. That's, of course, in the language of uh, the, the healing miracles that Jesus did in, in the gospel. It both means that literal healing, and that's why they changed it from the sacrament of anointing the dying to anointing the sick in hopes of healing. Um, and, uh, but it, it, also, it also mentions salvation. One, this is one of the mentions of salvation in the book, so that a person who is dying can make that peace with his or her past and, and, and move forward to whatever that forward is. That's a very nice interpretation of it. It's uh, one of his more poetic passages, isn't it, Lauren? Uh, you, you were mentioning. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, is. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, there's lots of great poetry in this yes. book. Much better than <laughs> Paul's. <laughs> uh, he has his moments, but, but James really is so consistently, uh, not perfectly, but consistently um, beautiful with his theology here. Um, I, I particularly like the business about the tongue and the business of slander. I got a great story that, that I always think of whenever I read this, you know, uh, my Please, mother-in-law, yeah. my mother-in-law uh, was called into her son's, one of her sons, she has 10 kids, one of her son's schools because they caught him with marijuana. And uh, she sat there and, and, and listened to the um, Dean of Discipline, et cetera, talking and about how dangerous it was and how bad it was and how, her son has to change his ways, et cetera. And she kind of got, uh, uh, she understood, you know, drugs and alcohol and, 
and, and that, but she kind of got tired of the, uh, you know, the kind of gloom and doom and, you know, this is so evil sort of attitude. And she said, oh, come on now, at least he wasn't gossiping. <laughs> you know, because really in her sense, and, and, and to this day she is this way, uh, for her, gossip was a really serious sin. And that speaking uh, poorly about someone and, and, and slandering them and speaking uh, cruelly about them is much worse than, than smoking a doobie. You know, and and here's because <laughs> one could be one could be a momentary failure while the other is a yeah, failure well, of character. Or of, actually, you know, of, one is is something that you know you can kind of hurt yourself with, and of course you have the drug trade, and you have to factor all that in and all. But she really felt that uh, uh, speaking slanderously about someone was extremely serious, and and if she wanted her kids to not do one thing, it would be that. And, and it's an interpersonal sin, you see, and it's a, um, a, a way of denying someone's humanity. In fact, James has some beautiful language there. Uh, you know, so, so uh, anyway, I, I just always think of that as when I read this very long, actually, uh, business about the, the sins of the tongue, so to speak. And it, it's so interesting because he says, of course, that the gift of speech um, is a wonderful thing and we can praise God with it. But we can also demean um, the the crown of creation, yeah. which is every other human being um, in, in the biblical perspective. Mm. That's cool. I'm so glad that you've uh, given us this other perspective, because I think from a Protestant viewpoint, <laughs> there's like, I've never had any experience with scripture, with the New Testament that's like, focused on justice uh-huh. on earth. I've always encountered it as, well, whatever happens on earth doesn't really matter. You know, it's, yes. it's what happens in heaven that counts. Um, but I would love for us to apply yeah. the lessons of James yes. to the real world and pay the people right. who mow the fields right. more. Exactly. And, you and know? isn't that a really strong passage? Uh, he says, you, you, you have piled up yes, wealth in an age God. that is near its close. There's his apocalyptic reference. The wages you never paid to the men who mowed your fields are loud against you, and the outcry of the reapers has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I mean, that's... Oh, the outcry yes. of the reapers is a great... My, I'm reading the NIV, which has it phrased a little differently, but I yes. love the phrase, the yes. outcry of the reapers. Um, you know, it, it, it reminds me, if I can make an extension here, uh, I've been talking with my students very much about the uh, sexual harassment uh, uh, crisis that we're in, the recognition of sexual harassment and the pursuit of it. And I, I came across a fascinating uh, uh, editorial from the Reapers, actually from farm worker women, who said, you know, we're glad that you folks in Hollywood and Washington are, are finally uh, paying attention to this, please don't forget us here in the fields because we've been struggling with this, um, this reality for generations. Please bring us into the conversation. I, I just would love to connect this with, with uh, yes. James's uh, passage here. 
That's great. I, I'm i like nodding along very enthusiastically, <laughs> but you can't see me and neither yeah. can our listeners. Yes. But I'm, I'm like, yes, giving it two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, Kierkegaard said, uh, faith is for this life. If there's a next life, you don't need faith for that. You, we need faith for this life, for this world. We need faith to save this world. Or as Jesus put it more positively, we need faith to build the kingdom on earth, to establish the reign of God on earth, as it is in heaven. That's taken care of. But really, uh, Jesus' message was very much this worldly. And, and uh, very reluctant to die because I, I think he didn't uh, fully understand uh, if he had established enough uh, in his short ministry, public ministry, to to get that kingdom going. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, he got something going. <laughs> he did get something going. And, but we're still That's stumbling, sure. huh? One step up, two steps back, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us. Is there um, anything you want to add that oh, we haven't covered? No, about I, I thank you for, for giving me the opportunity. And you have a, a wonderful podcast. Please keep it up. And I'll continue to try to be a faithful listener. <laughs> Appreciate it. Faith, yeah. is, faith is for this life and this show. Exactly. And this podcast. Exactly, yeah. Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Lauren. Thank, Thank you, you, Jim. Good to speak with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I think there's only one thing left to do, and that's to rate this book. How would you rate this book? I think I'm going to give this one like six out of eight restless evils full of deadly poison. <laughs> okay. And uh, por qué? Well, I mean... It really stands out amongst the New Testament books, especially the epistles, I'd say, uh, for its great poetry, mm-hmm. clarity of thought, I feel like. There's a very well-developed and secure viewpoint that this stuff is coming from. <laughs> I like the Like, we wouldn't be talking about secure security <laughs> at all if it weren't for Paul's, like, raging insecurity, you know, but, but keep going. <laughs> right. Um, and... Even the, I'd say it loses a couple points because it's not like a focused lecture or, or focused piece. It seems like a couple of short pieces sort of crammed together. I feel like you're being like um, Greek supremacist and oh, which I, I see. It's it's my Greco-Roman sense bias. of linearity that yeah. it should have a progression to it or yeah. a theme of some kind. Jewish wisdom literature doesn't have that. That's true. But it's structured as an epistle. <laughs> is it? Well, it's called the epistle. Is it? <laughs> well, no, I just mean, I think that are my biases showing? Yes. <laughs> Cover them up, please. I was tra- It's no, indecent. I will never. But I was trained, you know, to like a certain kind of thing. And if I don't like this as much, I feel like we're attacking the whole idea of liking a thing right now. <laughs> Which is maybe not the most fruitful. That's, that's, uh, you, you know. You were trying to throw me off balance, weren't you? <laughs> I've been you on Twitter. gaslighting me. I've been on Twitter for a long time. You're not allowed to like things on Twitter. Cool, cool. It's all about tearing things down. Got it. Well, I'm not trying to tear it down. No. <laughs> I think the poetry is great. I think um, there's obviously, uh, it's obviously a fruitful space to find good advice for how to live a moral Christian life. And I think that's great. I am similarly going to give it uh, seven out of ten rudders because. Uh, Why'd you say it weird? Because it's a funny word, rudders. 
love the anti-capitalist stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love Jim's interpretation of it as applying to this world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still got to detract points for the whole sinful, worthlessness thing that fucked me up as a child personally. You know what? You're you're well within your rights to take off points if it came after you when you were a kid. Yeah. (laughs) I'm deducting points for my own personal childhood trauma. (laughs) Hey, it's the Bible. I think you're allowed to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole podcast, right? Um, But God, I mean, saying pay your farm workers more, Mm -hmm. that's just awesome. That's just like... Top-notch Bible tent. Top-notch Bible apostrophe tent. (laughs) Shall we get into the mailbag? I would love to dive into... Hot steam and mail. Okay, we only have one hot steam and letter. Uh, it's from a listener named Wayne, who's a former Mennonite, now an atheist. Mm-hmm. It's quite the transition. Yes. And he says, your podcast is the first time I've returned to the Bible since leaving religion. It's amazing how different it sounds now from the outside. Thank you for helping me laugh at my past. It lets me know that I'm making progress and it reminds me that I'm not alone. You are not alone. Welcome to the club. Wayne, we love you. He also uh, sent us, in lieu of a pet picture, a traditional saying in the language of my ancestors, everything has an end except a sausage. It has two ends. It's a great joke. I like it. (laughs) Um, So that is our show for today. Big thank you again to Jim for joining us in the second segment. Indeed. He doesn't have a Twitter or anything to promote, but you could... He's a dad. You could follow his son, Greg, on Twitter if you want. (laughs) You can also follow the show on Twitter at SunSchoolDrop. And you can follow us on Facebook, same URL, or just search for Sunday School Dropouts. Look for that cool-ass piece of smoking a cigarette designed by Lise Carlton. Thank you for our logo. As always, still the best part of the podcast. If you have questions, comments, pets to bless or curse, or jokes in Dutch, question mark, then in, you... In Platt Deutsch, <laughs> or whatever the language of Mennonites is. <laughs> you can send it to us at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol that's contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol do not go to sundayschooldropouts.com it's a terrible place it's a place for frankly rich people (laughs) who as we know are going to hell um if you want to help the show we would super love it if you left us an itunes review like chris hoif who gave us five stars and said we're great (laughs) you could also be like james and selena who said 10 out of 10 golden calves. Calves. You could also be like Tinge of the Ginge, who gave us a 5 out of 5 she-bears and said, uh, I'm currently working on catching up on this series as an ex-Southern Baptist ooh, who has forced out religion for my entire young life. It's a refreshing and hilarious take on the historical context of the chapters of the Bible. So much I didn't know, but that's probably because I'm a silly, whorish woman. Aren't we all? Some of us are. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Wait. Like you. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled with an A like Shaquille spells it. You can follow me on Twitter if you want. I don't know. You probably shouldn't. Follow him. At Nico Bakulich. We are the ones who forced him on. You, our audience, forced him on, so you should follow him. N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. We'll be back next week with more Bible talking all the different ways. We pull our Bible gun out the holster. Put a fresh bullet in the clip chamber <laughs> yep. and blast it off into radio heaven. That's exactly how podcasting works. 
And I'm Lauren. My name is Nico. And we will see you on Sunday. Bye.